when Jesus rose from the dead, that was more than enough to cover whatever you're working on today. You know, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says you became a new creation, a new species of being, a brother or a sister of Jesus Christ. And, and all, all old things are passed away and everything has become new in your life. Jesus gave you his DNA. His blood is in your body in a very real sense. He gave you his mind, the spirit. His spirit is living inside of you and, and it's there to do whatever you need done physically, spiritually, whatever you need today. I'm telling you, it's more than enough. And, and, and man, if there's anybody wa here or watching online and you, you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, it's the easiest thing you'll ever do. Just invite him to be a part of your life. And once you do that, immediately you become a new creation, a new species of being, a brother, a sister of Jesus Christ, and a son or a daughter of the Most High God. I, I tell you, we got a maid today. M man, why don't you greet your neighbor here, and we're going to move on with the service. Well, boy, thank you again so much for being a part of our church service today. You know, when you, when you watch us online here, um, uh, you, you participate in the service that way, or, or if you're in a building, you, you know, you, you actually bring God, the presence of God, in here with you. And when we get that together corporately, I mean, that's how we can go to where we go and worship here. And, and boy, thanks so much. Thanks so much for being a part of this. You're really a good-looking group of people today. Um, you know, we got the winter licked here. It's all downhill from now. And, um, and so it's going to keep getting easier to drive to church. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's my privilege to receive God's tithes and our offerings this morning. Um, uh, you, you know, if, you're, um, if you'd like, a, give them with cash and you'd like an envelope to get a tax receipt. If you just lift up your hand, we've got some ushers in here that'll give you one. Um, if you're making out checks, it's Destiny Church. Man, if you're watching online here, why I think the address is going to come up on the screen here. You could mail, um, you could mail your tithes and, and offering to that address, or it's really convenient. You can even text to give. Uh, to, you know, <laughs> as simple as making a text. So, um, you know, I always like to um, stand on some scripture at this time of our giving. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is is over in Genesis 14, and and this is Abraham in this story. And, uh, and Abraham is bringing his tithe uh, to, this, uh, to, to, to Melchizedek, who is a, a priest, the representative of Jesus Christ on earth. I mean, just the same way as we do it today. But what, what I really love is when Abraham brings his tithes, why what this representative of Jesus Christ does, they, they have communion together, just like we did this morning. Just think, this is 2,500 years before Jesus Christ shows up on earth and and, and raise us from the dead, but they were looking forward to this, Melchizedek and Abraham. That's why he was bringing his tithe. But then Melchizedek made this statement over Abraham. Melchizedek, the representative of Jesus Christ, he said, Abraham, you're the possessor of heaven and earth. And you see, that's what tithing is. You get in partnership with God. And then what happens is, what belongs to God belongs to you, and what belongs to you belongs to God. You, you, you know, in fact, God even changed Abraham's name uh, uh, to signify this partnership. It was Abram, but when he put that H in there, that was the symbol for God's name. It was like they was getting married. It was, they were in covenant from that time on. And so God says that same thing over you and me at this time when we partner up with him. He said, whatever your name is, put your name in that place. You are the possessor of heaven and earth. So my question is, what is it that you want out of heaven and earth today? You can have it. It's yours. That's what this covenant is. So we're going we're gonna to bring our tithes, God's tithes to him, and we're going to bring our offering. But man, decide what it is you want. God will see to it that you get it. Have faith in God, and you can write your own ticket with God. Anything you, you're believing for, you can receive it. Man, so let's, let's, uh, let, let's take these uh, God's tithes and our offering in hand. We'll, we'll agree in prayer over them. Man, you name what you want as we're praying. Man, in Jesus' name, your sons and daughters here in the building and, 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 and online, we're getting together and we're bringing you the tithe, your tithe, just like Abraham did all those years ago. 
And we're bringing, some folks are bringing you offerings too. Man, you said nobody would give you anything that, that they didn't get a hundred times as much back, whatever that was, that they're given. We receive that too. But I thank you as we bring these today. We've had communion together already, and you're speaking that over each one of us. You are the possessor of heaven and earth. Whatever it is you want, I'll see to it that you get it. Thank you, God, that you think that highly of us. This is our partnership with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, ushers, you, you can serve the people here. I got a few announcements before we move on. You know, we have a family service every Wednesday night at, at 6.30. The adults and the children are at the church here, and, and the teenagers are over at, uh, over at Destiny Fitness there. Uh, 6.30 Wednesday night uh, at the church here while we're done promptly by 8 so, uh, so you can get your kids to school the next day and, and, and like that. And, and boy, it's just, we've been having such a great time. You know, we have a short time of teaching, but then we get together and discuss, um, discuss what, what we were taught. And so, you know, so everybody gets a chance to, uh, to respond and to voice what, uh, what God's telling them. And just so good to get together. Um, we grow in God together in that way. So, man, those Wednesday nights, man, really good treats, too, besides. Okay, uh, okay and on uh, uh, Ladies Connect is on Thursday, February 17th, and that's at 6.30 here at the church. That's for the ladies. Um, uh, Carrie Gilbertson is going to be speaking at that meeting. So February 17th, 6.30 for the ladies. We've got corporate prayer. Sunday mornings at 9.15 in the mother's room in church here. Uh, everybody's welcome to join for that. Uh, there's ladies' prayer Thursday mornings at 10 o'clock a.m. at the church. Uh, along with that, you know, um, uh, I'm always at the table in the foyer there. If, if, if we don't have, like, your phone number and your email address, you know, we use those to inform you if there's bad weather or something we're canceling or schedule changes, anything like that. Uh, if, if you got any questions about the church, I mean, this might be your first time visiting here, or 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 you might have been here for a long time. You just want to, you got a question about something? Why, man, I, I'll 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 get an answer for your question. And also, uh, you know, if you got ideas how we can make things better, uh, we're all making things better here. So, uh, with that, why we're going to move on with our service. Pastor C's got a word. Well, God's good. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Genesis chapter 27. <clears throat> Just to let some of you guys know this, uh, in about a week is Valentine's Day. Just wanted you to remember that so you don't get caught uh, empty-handed there. So you can kind of start planning right now what you're going to do. But because of that, I was thinking that I would like to talk to you about relationships for a week or two. And, um, you know, relationships are something that God is, they're like gifts. People in our lives are like gifts that God gives us. They're not, the, they're not the source of life, but they are gifts of life that God puts in our lives. And they're, and they're, they're meant to be enjoyed. And, uh, you know, I used to always think that um, when I was younger and naive, I used to always think that if everybody would straighten up, my life would be better. I don't know if you ever thought that way. My wife would straighten up. If my kids would straighten up, if my friends in my life would straighten up, then my life would be better. And I, I came to discover that I'm really the one that needs a change. How many of that's true? I heard this story one time about this guy that when he was sleeping, they put Limburger cheese uh, something sauce or whatever underneath his nose. When he woke up, he goes, man, it stinks in here. Then he went into the other room. He goes, man, it stinks in here. And uh, everywhere he went, it stunk. But it didn't really stink. The problem was him. And I think that's true with us, is that a lot of times, not that other people don't need to change. How many know that someone else needs to change? <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen on that. Amen. But I really need to change. But how many know that it's true that you can't always do something about them? In fact, they often resent your uh, loving advice that you want to give them input. They often resent it. And, but one thing that you can change is you can change you. You have authority over you. You can change you. Last week I talked about growing. No matter what your problem is, no matter what your situation is, you can grow out of it. You know, kids grow out of their clothing. You know, I, at our house we had, this, um, we had this wall. And I had one of my kids that, you know, all her friends, I just blew it there. 
her friends grew, and uh, she would say, measure me, Dad. And so I'd measure her, and she wasn't growing, and all her other friends were growing. And so we nicknamed it, instead of the wall of growth, we nicknamed it the wall of horror, because <laughs> every day it was like, but, but eventually she grew. And that's true with all of us. No matter who we are, no matter what we're facing, we can grow. And, um, and we can grow into the person that God wants us to be. Last week I talked about how we have to have a plan and we've got to be committed to growth. And, and a lot of times what we do is we, we get stuck because of situations that happen to us. And we're stuck in a place and we're, it's like a rut and we can't get out of it. And we want something supernatural to happen in a moment of time to transform our stuckness. But really, we got to realize that there's a lot that God wants to do in our lives so we can grow out of things. In other words, we're struggling with this, but if we grow, we won't struggle with this forever. How many can see what I'm saying? And so even individually, oftentimes, you know, when I was a, I heard this story about this, and I, I think I experienced this also about this guy who said when, his, when he was young, he thought his dad was the dumbest person on planet Earth. He goes, man, that guy was dumb. And, uh, but he said, the older I got, the smarter he got. He goes, man, that guy's getting smarter, you know. But how many know that it wasn't him, that, it wasn't his dad getting smarter, it was him getting smarter. And that's how it, that's how it is a lot of times, is that um, the responsibility has to fall on us, is that we have to, become uh, unstuck, so to speak. I titled this message, which I, I didn't really like the title, but I look for pithy um, titles that are creative. I, this one might not be creative or pithy, but I titled this message, From a Drain to a Fountain. From a Drain to a Fountain. You know, it's interesting. There are all kinds of beautiful fountains that are tourist track, track, traps, track, uh, tourist destinations. How I many know that's true? I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, you know, I, in fact, if you Google, don't Google it right now, but you can Google it, uh, uh, famous fountains or something like that. And, and I saw there was like 15, and some of these fountains are absolutely spectacular. And they draw hundreds of thousands of people, and people get in front of them, and they, they we take our picture with this fountain, and, uh, and, and they, they're admired, and people feel refreshed and exhilarating to be around this fountain. And not only that, but then some people even think that if I throw money in this fountain, somehow or another, if I throw money in this fountain, make a wish, that my wish is going to come true. If you want to throw your money away, just give it to me. Because <laughs> your wish is not going to come true. But my point is, is that fountains are places of beauty and of ecstasy, I guess you, I don't know, that's too strong of a word, but, but they're, they're places that people go to, they're refreshing, they're beautiful, and they're lovely. But I can't think really of a drain that is a tourist attraction. I mean, I couldn't think of one. Now, I usually when I say that, somebody will come up to me and say, well, this particular drain is a tourist attraction. But I don't, I don't know of a lot of drains that are tourist attractions. And I don't know a lot of people that come and say, well, here, take my picture in front of this drain, you know, this beautiful drain. I want you to take my picture in front of it. Take, get our whole family there. Make sure you get the drain. You know, most people don't do that, right? Because drains are kind of bummers. You know, they're kind of like, and, and people don't throw money. In fact, when they waste their money, they say, my money went down the drain. You know, they, it's usually kind of a negative thing. Now, let me transition and tell you that I think Fountains and drains are pictures of two types of people. <laughs> that I won't labor this point very long, because, but I mean, if you, you know, a fountain is kind of like a picture of a healthy person. You know, they're kind of a joy to be around. You get around them, you go, man, it's just refreshing. You're you're refreshed by their friendship. Maybe you want to spend money on them, throw money at them or whatever. But it's kind of a joy to be around that person. And a drain, on the other hand, is, is a picture of being around an unhealthy person. And uh, they're a challenge to be around. Because to them, life is a circle of pain and misery. And each day is a confirmation that they are not only 
unloved but unlovable. You know, it's interesting that there's two things that I think people misunderstand. When I was a little kid, you know, when you did something wrong, they would say, shame on you. I later discovered that shame is a terrible thing. Guilt is a healthy thing. You know, guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. Guilt said I made a mistake. Shame says I am a mistake. Shame is a, a, a deep feeling of being defiled and being broken, and, and there's no way of being mended. That's what shame is. And God never intended for us to bear shame in our lives. Um, you know, the Bible says that Jesus, when he died, he bore our shame and our disgrace so that we wouldn't have to bear it. And God doesn't want us to walk around with shame. But a lot of times what happens is because of the past or things in our past, we get stuck. And stuck people feel helpless and hopeless. Stuck people, are, are uh, they don't see a, a positive or a bright future. And God wants us to come out of that. We can grow out of being stuck. You know, I like it when, you know, you look at stories in the Bible where it says that, you know, like I was thinking about reading this story, but there was a story in the Bible where they, it talks about this crippled man and how they put him at this gate called Beautiful Every Day in Acts chapter 3. And you look at that guy's life and he was, he was there by this beautiful gate and, and he was begging for alms as people went into the temple. And, um, but he was stuck. I mean, he was dependent upon other people. And that's how sometimes we are. We're dependent upon other people to make us feel good about ourselves. How people react to us it determines whether or not we are, see ourselves in a positive light or not. And, and we go through life just kind of like with a big empty hole inside of us, you know, trying to get a person to respond to us positively so we can say, I'm okay. And if people don't respond to us positively, we say we're not okay. And we try to have accomplishments because if we have accomplishments, then we feel like we're okay. Everything is due. Everything is uh, trying to receive. It's like we're stuck in life. And God doesn't want us to be stuck. I like those stories where Jesus walked by, or in this case, it was Peter and John walked by and, and raised those people up. In a moment of time, that guy got unstuck. I like those stories. But really, there are, there's a a positive thing that you can do no matter where you are. If you feel stuck, there's a positive thing you can do, and that is you can grow. Preach, Steve, I believe I will. That means you can grow. That you can grow out of that. You can grow out of that stuckness. Your soul can embrace your identity in God. Amen. And you can become somebody different than you are right now. Amen. And so that becomes the challenge. When you grow... It's more gradual. I like instant deliverances. But when you grow, it's more gradual and it's more permanent. When you grow, it's more gradual, but it's also more permanent. And God wants us to grow. God needs us to grow and so that our relationship can become healthy. Stop pointing at other people and saying, if they would just change, my life would be happy. I mean, there's a verse that I'm misusing this verse in, in uh, uh, Acts chapter 24, Paul was before, I think it was before Agrippa or one of the kings, and he said this, he said, I think myself happy, O king. And I thought to myself when I read that one time, I think myself happy. In other words, I know it's a little bit uh, scriptural license there, but you actually can think yourself into happiness. You see, if you wait until you, everybody around you changes and then you'll be happy, Buddy, you're never going to be happy. You could be living with Jesus himself and you won't be happy. Because you're always going to find something that's not absolutely right. So the main point is no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your problem is, you can grow. See, I think there's a misunderstanding about, about people, healthy people or su successful people. And I try to be careful how I use the word successful because just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you, you're successful. But, but people that are successful or people that are, are healthy, there, there's a misunderstanding or misnomer about them that they, they never have any problems or they never had any problems. But that's not true. Everybody has baggage. I was going to bring a luggage 
up here and going to open it up and use it as a sermon illustration. But when you come, when I come and you come, we're all carrying luggage. We all got baggage. And the issue is not whether or not you have baggage, it's how you feel about those, that baggage. How, what's your emotional, uh, emotional uh, ideas about it? Are you still connected to it? Some people are connected to something in their past. They had a bad upbringing. And they think, I can't get unstuck because of this thing. My, my father didn't treat me right, or my, my mother didn't treat me right, or or I, when I raised my little hand in class, the teacher hated me. Or, you know, I mean, there's something, there's something in my past, and because of that, I'm stuck. You need to get unstuck. It, it's not, it's, it, you know, your past may explain you, but your past does not have to define you. Your past explains you, explains why you are the way you are or where you're at today, but it does not have to define you. You can actually, you can actually move past your past. You can come out of dysfunction. You can come out of pain and suffering. I mean, I think about people like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Joyce Myers. Maybe you have. If you haven't, you've probably been living in a basement somewhere. I don't know. But I mean, she was a lady that her father molested her for years as she was growing up. And then when she confronted her father after she was of age and grew up, her father blamed her for it. I mean, her, she had an incredibly dysfunctional upbringing, but she came out of it. And she became a person that ministers all around the world to people that are hurting and struggling and even people that aren't. But, but what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't matter how dysfunctional your past is, your past doesn't have to define you. You know, the Bible tells us that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. So it's there are many very successful people who have had horrible experiences in their life, but they got past it. And you can get past it too. Amen. Preach to you. I believe it will. You know, the story of Jacob and Esau is really kind of a, it's, a, it's one of those stories when you read it, it's, it just, it's everything in you cries foul. And, and I'm not here to give you the, what I believe the spiritual lesson behind it is. But one thing about it is after Jacob, this, I don't want to say sleazy, but this swindle, a sneaky, sneaky, that's a better word. This sneaky individual comes in and tricks his blind father into giving him the blessing. He walks out, then Esau comes in, who was supposed to have the blessing. Esau walks in, and, and his father, his blind father says, I gave the blessing to your brother Jacob. And so he's blessed, he is the head, and he, I made him your leader, I made him your authority. And he starts crying. He goes, isn't there a blessing you have for me? And, and so what, God, what, uh, what Isaac says as far as the blessing, listen to these words out of Genesis 27. <coughs> I'll just read one verse. It says, this is what the blessing was. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break the yoke from off you shall break his yoke from off your neck. He said, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, in other words, when you've had enough, I've had enough of this pain. I've had enough of this situation. I've had enough of this dysfunction. I've had enough of being attached to the past. I've had enough of suffering. I've had enough of it. When you become restless, it says you shall break his yoke from off your neck. In other words, it's like you're walking around with this yoke that, that's placed on you. And finally, one day you might struggle at it. But finally, one day you go, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of dysfunction. I've had enough of pain. I've had enough of uh, disharmony. I've had enough of it. He said, then you will break his yoke. You'll take that yoke and you will break it. You'll break it from off of your neck and you'll walk out free. And that's what God has for our lives. Man, I'm glad I said that. See, there, when it comes to change, there's four reasons why people change. There's four reasons why people change. When you hurt enough, you have to. I can't take this pain anymore. I can't take this anymore. 
when you're provoked enough that you need to, I have sometimes a hard time reading my notes because when you learn enough that you want to, you know, a lot of times people are just dumber than a box of rocks. They just think that this, I'm defined, that this is the way it is. See, I find this about healthy people. As healthy people go through things, they go through difficulty, they go through very trying times. They're tempted to be depressed. They're tempted to be fearful. They're tempted, but they don't let what they're going through define who they are. And that's the biggest thing is, I'm not going to let this define who I am. I'm going through something now, but it's not who I am. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And how you see yourself is so vitally important. How you see yourself. The last one here is why people change. People change when they receive enough, they're able to. When they receive enough, they're able to. So your past explains you, but it doesn't have to define you unless you let it. And I meet people all the time as they're stuck. I mean, they're, 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 they're not a fountain. I mean, I'm going to say that as kindly as I can. They're not a fountain. They're stuck because of something that happened to them. They have not uh, administered forgiveness. They have not broken free from the yoke of something that was placed upon them in their past. I mean, in Esau's case, there's a lot of injustice. I mean, and there's a lot of injustice in life. How I many know that's true? I mean, I wish, it would, I wish there was a, I wish we were all Pollyannas. Is that the right word, Pollyannas? And this was a, a world full of lollipops and tulips with, Life isn't like that. Life's hard, and, and it seems like they're trying to make it even harder. But I want to get into that. But anyways, but, but my point is, is that you can, you can grow. You can grow. Amen. And so he, here's the thing, is how you see yourself, one of the major indicators, or one of the major way uh, determining factors of how you succeed, see yourself is yourself, what you say to yourself. It's basically your self-talk. What you say to yourself determines how you feel about yourself. You know, it's one thing that if you make a, make a mistake, you know, I hear people say things like, you're such an idiot. They talk to themselves that way. You're, just, you're such a, you're fat, clumsy idiot, you know. Come on! That is, when you talk to yourself that way, you, are, you don't realize how you are hindering what God wants to do in your life. Because as long as you see yourself as less than, you'll settle for less than. You know, I heard a guy, a preacher say this. He said, I can't afford to have a thought in my head that, about myself that God doesn't have in his head about me. In other words, I have to think about me like God thinks about me. You see, being healthy and being perfect is not the same thing. Healthy people are not perfect. I am not perfect. Almost, no, I'm, <laughs> I am not perfect. But I feel like I'm on the road to being healthy. And that's what, what, you, what you say about yourself determines how you feel about yourself. What you say about yourself determines how you see yourself. If you see yourself as less than, you'll always settle for less than. And there's too many of us that settle because we see ourselves less than because of our, the way we talk, talk to ourselves. You know, I said this one week, a few uh, months ago. You know, if you could stick a cord in your head and download everything that you said about yourself that day and play it back. We're going to play it back. We're going to listen to everything you said about yourself today. We're going to play it back. How many, how many think it would be uplifting? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> and some people think, well, you know, I probably should think better thoughts, and I probably should think better thoughts about myself. I, this is really, it's really serious. You know, the thing about it is one of the examples I used before is the children of Israel. And God did everything he could. I mean, just try to put yourself in their shoes for just a minute. You know, God takes them out of Egypt. He brings the strongest nation 
on the earth at that time, the greatest nation on the earth at that time, he brings them to their knees through ten signs and wonders. And then he delivers and he makes a distinction between them and the Israelites. I mean, the Israelites got flies, they got frogs, they got lice, they got all kinds of stuff. And the children of Israel are just like, hey, we doing good. And God shows them his power. And then they get to the Red Sea and God opens the Red Sea, blows all night, dries the bed of the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. The Egyptians try to follow. They crash the waves come together and they're all drowned. They have this song and they're dancing around. They got tambourines. Woo! The Bible sing unto the Lord. It's just having a big time. They're, and then God feeds them with manna every day and gives them water out of the rock. I mean, just one miracle after another. They have shade by day and they have a fire by night. God protects them, watches over them, and he brings them to the brings them to their promised land. He kept telling, I've given you the land. He says, I, he didn't say, I'm going to give you the land. I've given you the land. I've given you the land. The land is yours. No one will stand before you all the days of your life. I'm with you. I was with Moses. I'm going to be with you. You're going to go in. You're going to possess this land. I've given you the land. And they go in, send out some spies. Spies come back and go, no. But here's what's interesting about what they said about themselves. It tells you what they, what they thought about themselves. Numbers chapter 13, let's read it. 32, I'll read it, you can listen. <laughs> then they presented the Israelites with a discouraging report of the land they had investigated, saying, the land that we pass through to investigate is a land that devours its inhabitants. See, when you have a, when you have a negative self-talk, life is hard. He says the land devours its inhabitants. I mean, the land does it. It just eats up people. That's a pretty negative perspective, wouldn't you agree? And it's not true. The land did not devour its inhabitants. All the people we saw, there were great statue. All those people, I mean, there were no babies there. There were no children there. They're all a great statue. But again, when you have negative self-talk, you see yourself in a negative light. That's how life is. Everything is hard. Everything's difficult. Everything's impossible. It can't be done. We can't do it. It won't be done because I'm saying that to myself. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim, whatever. And we seem like, this, this is what I want you to get to. I said all that to say this. And we seem like grasshoppers, both to ourselves and to them. See, when you, you see, that is their description. That's how they saw themselves. That is not how God saw them. That is how they saw themselves. That is not how God saw them. That is how they saw themselves. That is not how God saw them. In fact, if you read in Exodus chapter 19, God tells you how he saw them. He saw them as a chosen generation a treasured possession among all the people, special among all the people, a treasure. He saw them as a treasure. He saw them as a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He saw them as Bethel. Amen. He saw them as special. He saw them as unique. He saw them as powerful. He saw them as overcomers. But they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And so what happened was they did not go into the land. God could not bring them into the land just by the way that they saw themselves. And I want you to realize that if you, don't, if you see yourself as less than what God says about you, what will happen is God can't bring you into where he wants you to be. And it isn't because he doesn't want to. It's because it's, you're hindering forward motion because you're seeing yourself as less than. I thought it was interesting is not only did God see them different than the way they saw them, but it says it's the enemy saw them differently. Look at Joshua chapter 2 in verses 9 through 11. It says, this is the, the Rahab the harlot. This is 40 years later. But this is what she said. This is her assessment. I know that the Lord has given you the land. This is the enemy now. They're going, we, the grasshopper people are saying, we can't go in. 
The enemies that they were going to fight says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The fear of the Lord has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. These are, now remember, they, they were, these are the ones that thought they were gra grasshoppers. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of Amorites and who were beyond the Jordan to, to Shih Shihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So that's how their enemies thought. The only thing, so God thought this, the enemy thought this, the only thing that kept them back was how they thought about themselves. And the only thing that holds you back today is how you see yourself if you don't see yourself the way God sees you. Amen. Most people don't like themselves that much. And let me tell you something, that's a real problem. That's a real problem to you and your destiny and the, the people that you were ordained to reach. And it's a real problem to God because he cannot get you moving forward until you start thinking like he does. Amen? So what determines whether you see yourself as a grasshopper or a special treasure is what you say to yourself. Amen. Boy, that's good preaching. And so here's the thing, you know, people ask, I read this book a few months ago, it was entitled Healthy Me, Healthy Us. It's a great book, you ought to get it. It's written by two psycho psycho Christian psychologists. And one of the things that they said is that one of the most important things for us to grasp is our extremes, our, our incredible significance before God, how, how valuable we are in God's eyes. How, how much God loves us, how much God, how, how much God cherishes us, how much God desires. Because what happens is we feel a certain way about ourselves, and life seems to reinforce those feelings. How many know that's true? You know, I remember used to, I used to try to, when I lived in Minneapolis, I lived, worked downtown and I, I lived out in the suburbs, and I used to try to get I used to try to get home without getting mad on the, on the freeway. And I, around here, you know, you don't even understand that. Because around here, you just see somebody, you go, hey, man, it's good to see you. Pull out in front of me. Do whatever you want. You know? Can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? We're just glad to see somebody. But, but when, when you live down there, it's like you're ticked off all the time. And I used to, one day I was trying to think, why do I get so mad when somebody cuts me off? I mean, I'm ready to come to blows, you know. I remember I heard this preacher one time. This guy cut him off, and so he got mad, and he, he told the guy to pull over. This is a preacher. I've never done that. So I'm better than him. But <clears throat> I just wanted to put that out there. But anyway, so, but, but what was interesting is that he, so he, he gets him to pull over, and the guy gets out. The guy gets out of his car, and he's huge. Looks like he spends all day in the gym. He's got gigantic arms. He looks like that, what's that weightlifter, that black guy? Ryan Coleman. You ever heard, heard of Ryan Coleman? Yeah, I mean, Ronnie Coleman, yeah. He just looks like he's just huge. He gets out of the car and he, look, he sees him. <laughs> and the guy's wife's going, you're going to get killed. <laughs> and so he goes, he go, gets out of the car and he goes, he goes over to him. And he goes, hey, hi, how are you? I just... I saw you wave at me. I just thought we knew each other. You know, he got back in his car and drove away. That would cure you, wouldn't it? But you know what? I, I, I examined this. And the reason it used to get me so frustrated is because when somebody cuts you off, what they're basically saying is, you're worthless. You're no good. I, I don't want to overdo it in my mind, but basically that's how you feel. You feel like, and life is like that. People don't, wake up every day and say, oh, I'll tell you all the good things you're doing today and how great you are and how awesome you are. People relate to you in, in different ways. And if you have a, a degree of insecurity about you, it's going to let you think that you're just less than. And if you feel like you're less than, you're going to settle for 
less than. And we can't settle any longer. And so the first thing is we have to, we have to accept God's opinion of us. God's incredible, how God sees us as incredibly significant. I want you to look at another verse here. In Ephesians chapter 3, I love this verse. And this actually is a prayer. This is a prayer that Paul prayed for the church. I don't know if I have it up there, but he says that according to the riches of his glory, he would grant you to be strengthened with might or power through his spirit in your inner being so that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He said he wants us firmly rooted in the love of God. In other words, God's love for us. Not just, see, because if I say, well, God loves you, most people here would say, yeah, I know that. I mean, we intellectually know that, that God loves us. We intellectually know that. But he says here to know the love of Christ that passes the intellectual knowing it that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, we have to go beyond intellectually knowing it to, to the point where we are experiencing it. You know, be like me if I described to you honey. If I said, man, honey, it's, it's, it's golden color. It's thick, sticky. But boy, man, man, does it taste good. Oh, man, man, is honey sweet. It is awesome. You go, okay. But how many know it would be a whole lot better if I said, here, taste this. That would have more of an impact on you than if I spent a half an hour describing to you what honey tastes like. And I can describe to you what, I can describe to you the love of God, but what you need to have is you need to have a map truck experience with God's love where it alters your thinking, it alters your emotions, it alters every part of your being. Sorry for getting excited, but it's going to start spitting here pretty soon. Be a spat blast zone. How many know what I'm saying? It's so much more powerful than when you start to experience it. And someone said, well, that's all I need. Listen, if you start opening yourself up, God will, God will impact your life with his love. See, our significance is rooted in God's never-ending, unconditional love for us. This is the foundation stone for having a self healthy self-image or healthy self-worth. We are valuable because God says we're valuable. You know, Paul made it very clear, if God, if God sent his only son, if he wouldn't withhold his son, what will he withhold? He, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. You see, a lot of times we think that we have to earn. I'm, coming, I'm going to church. I'm going to earn some points with God. I'm sorry to say this, but you didn't earn any points with God. He loved you whether you showed up or not. I'm glad you showed up. It's good to look at your smiling face. But I'm just saying that God loves us unconditionally. Why we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. Now, you might not have known that, and that not knowing that will affect your life, but God loved you. He loves the unloving. He loves the unlovable. God doesn't wait until... We earn his love or deserve being loved to give us love. God starts with love. There's no rational reason why God should love us. I remember, you know, thinking about, I read a verse one time in Hebrews where it says, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angel and crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. And, and the psalmist is going, what is it about man that you're so mindful of him. What, what is it about him? It's like we all go, I'm, I'm around people all the time. It's not that great, you know. But, but God's up there going, why? Because we were made in his image. We were made in his likeness. When God looks at you, he sees himself. You're a chip off the old block. He sees, he sees you and he values you. Amen. See, we live in a world where that places acceptance on the basis of achievement. But God's love and acceptance is based on who God is, not based on who we are or what we do. 
Healthy people are people that are aware that they are deeply and passionately loved by God. And they not just know it intellectually, but they experience it on a regular basis. When we tell ourselves that we're unlovable or unloving or unlovable, we are contradicting what God says about us. We can't prove our worth through what we do. Our worth is established because God loves us, just where we're at. No matter all of our little quirks and hang-ups and idiosyncrasies and, did I say quirks? Quirks and, and nut, nutty things and crazy stuff that needs to be fixed. All that, God loves us. God's profound significance is not something that we, we, that we achieve, it's something that we receive. God's profi- his significance, his love for us, is not something that we achieve, it's something that we receive. And so I just want to close with this as the worship team comes. I just want to encourage you this morning. If you open yourself up, God is not hiding from anybody. You know, I like that song we sang, If I make my bed in the lowest parts of the earth or in hell, you are there. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere present. What we want God to do is we want the God that's everywhere present, we want him to manifest himself to us. Amen? And so I'm going to ask you this morning, how do you you feel? Do you feel loved? Do you feel accepted by God? How do you feel? I mean, I remember one time I heard this story about this professor. He was training, he was training um, preachers. He had a huge room full of preachers. And he asked the question, he said, how many preachers here today have ever experienced, have ever experienced God's love? I mean, experienced it. Now, we all know because the Bible says, for God so loved the world, we all know he loves us. But I mean, there's a difference between knowing and experiencing. I used to make this joke with my wife. She'd say, she'd say, I love you. And I said, of course you do. Can't help yourself. <laughs> but that didn't last very long. <laughs> but I used to always wonder, why does she want to keep hearing it? You know, I mean, nothing's changed. You know, I'll let you know if it changes, but... That's not how it works. How many know that's true? And so, we, I think we say it almost every day. I think so. But um, this preacher, he goes, how many here, talking to, talking to preachers now, this professor talking to preachers, he goes, how many here have experienced God's love at some time in your life? And most of the preachers raise their hands. And, he, and then he goes, how many here have experienced God's love recently. And he goes, hardly anybody raised their hand. I don't know if anybody did, actually. And then he goes, let me ask you another question. How many here have experienced God's disapproval? And all all the preachers raised their hand. That disapproval is self-inflicted. Let me just say that again. That disapproval that you feel is self-inflicted. And it comes from how you, what you think. You measure yourself. You say, I'm less than, therefore God, I'm unloving. I'm unlovable. Therefore God doesn't love me. Because we look at our performance. We don't realize that self-condemnation will push you in a direction where your performance will even get worse. So you're actually entering a cycle of death to your spiritual relationship. And God wants you to come out of that, break out of that. And the only way you can do that is by experiencing God's love. And sometimes you can experience it in worship. Sometimes you can experience it just at, by reading at home and praying. Uh, suddenly God's presence will come into the room because God's not a faraway God. The Bible says in him we live and move and breathe and have our being. He is ever, he's an ever-present, David said in the psalm, he's an ever-present help in time of need. He's ever-present. And he wants 
to embrace us this morning. So we're going to sing this song. And, uh, and then our time has kind of got away from us here a little bit. I got a little excited this morning. I don't know why, but started screaming, spitting, all kinds of stuff. But so we're just going to, why don't you all stand together? We're just going to sing this song together and uh, we're going to have the prayer counselors come forward and we're going to give you the opportunity if you do need prayer that, to be prayed for. But um, I just want you to, let's sing. you have a song we can sing? Okay, let's do it. Yeah, you know, um, just to piggyback on what Pastor Steve was saying there, you know, whose voice are we listening to? Is it the voice of the Father or of the inner, our inner critic, you know, who's talking to us? And in the story of, in the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son, um, the son, I mean, he made some bad mistakes, and he really screwed up, squandered his wealth. And when he came to his senses, he came back, decided he was going to come back to the Father, but he was going to settle for being a slave or whatever, and he, he was full of shame, and Pastor Steve was making the, the difference between shame and guilt, and he was guilty, but he was full of shame, so he was going to settle for something like a slave, but the father actually came out running all those accusations, you know, out running his own inner critic, and gave him a ring and a rope to restore his dignity, to restore his position, and, you know, the reality of the kingdom is stronger than To hear the Father's voice and what He's actually saying is reality. So let's just sing this song and uh, just think about that and just think about what, what the Father is saying to you. Keep running. 
Let's lift our hand one, t- one more time and just let God embrace you in his love right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your great love. See, Abba means daddy. The Bible says that God sent his spirit in our hearts crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, Daddy, Abba. Hallelujah. You know, this is a holy moment here as we bring this service to a close. And I believe God's ministering to your heart. I'm not saying that we live our lives by experience. We need to walk by faith. But I'll tell you, God has arranged for us experiences in Him where we have encounters with the Holy Ghost. We have encounters with His love. Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. He, he is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And if we open our hearts up to him, I want you to bow your head just for a moment. Is there anybody here this morning that's just like, I don't know where I'm at with God, but I'd sure like to. I'd sure like to mend my relationship with him or have begin a relationship with him this morning and you'd like me to pray for you. If that's you, just raise your hand so I can see it so I know who I'm praying for. Is there anybody here in this room? You go, I need to mend my relationship. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Or if you have never had one, you would like one, just slip your hand up so I can see it so I can pray for you. Once you slip your hand up, you can put it back down again. I want you to pray this prayer after me. Everybody in this room, just pray this prayer after me. Say, Dear Lord, I come to you as I am. I realize you love me. You died for me so that I could know you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Take away everything that hinders my relationship with you. Come into my life. Afresh and anew, 
I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you all. I want the prayer counselors to please come forward. We went a little longer today, but you guys can stand it, right? So if you need prayer for anything, just as soon as I dismiss, we have some, I think we have some refreshments back there somewhere. And so you could just join us for some refreshments if you'd like to. If you want to get out of here, you can do that too. But, um, but if you need prayer, please come forward. Um, ask one of these prayer counselors to pray for you. It sure has been great being with you and uh, experiencing God together today. Thank you all for coming. I pray you have a great week. God bless you all. You're free to go. If you need prayer, please come forward.